Hey, welcome to church. So glad that you're here. If we haven't met, my name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are continuing on in our series going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we'll be in chapter 11 and uh, checking that out. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and kind of get a head start and get in there. We're going to be there in just a moment. Um, from April to well, September, we have a lot of birthdays going on in the Poteet household, and so it's always on my mind. And so last week we talked a little bit about cupcakes. This week, you ever been to a birthday party that had pinatas? High-stress situation, right? So I love watching people in high-stress environments. I, I'm a people watcher just by nature. When my wife and I were dating, we would go to uh, a mall, indoor mall in Tucson, and we would sit on couches there and just watch people go by. We just love and kind of talk about maybe, you know, what they're like or what their life's going on or if they're arguing with their, their uh, spouse at the time or whatever. We just like watching people. So at pinata events, um, I've noticed there are really three groups of people that kind of divide out. Um, when, that, when that candy flies, oh, you know, even before I get there, I got to tell you, like, it's just totally random, but we were at a birthday party for my child when she was five, and she loved Dora the Explorer. And so she goes, or somebody, I don't, think, I don't think she was hitting it. Somebody else was hitting Dora with a bat. And it's a bad idea when you have something that looks like a cartoon character that your kid loves. The body goes flying, and the head is now dangling in a tree. And my child is off to the side screaming because Dora is now decapitated. So just don't ever do that. Like, be careful the pinatas that you get. But... So anyway, there's three types of people, right? You've got, I think, the watchers who are just going to, like, step back. They don't want to get involved in the chaos that's coming. They know it's coming. So when the candy starts flying, they just step back, and they're really just hoping that quite possibly something will be left when everything, when everything settles and is done. Uh, then, you, then you've got the sharers or maybe the directors who they're going to make sure everybody gets something. So they're going to be in there. They're not super aggressive, but they are, they are determined. But they're going to make sure that nobody gets left out, that everything gets kind of equalized in the end. And then you have the, the takers or like the Tasmanian devils who are just, they're all in it and they're trying to get as much as possible. Uh, and they, they do that. So th- we do this, I think, in other areas of stressful situations in life too. We kind of maybe, uh, we, we divide ourselves out or at least maybe sometimes our true nature comes out in different uh, circumstances. And we can change. We can go in and out of these categories. They're not always one or the other of these. It just kind of maybe depends on the time of day, the time of the week, the, how you're feeling or who you're with, but you ever in your car and you merge in traffic, like through a construction zone, and it can be stressful, right, because you know you got to get over, but you want to do it right, and I'm, I'm at a, a merge, I'm pretty much always going to be immediately get into the, the lane they tell you that is open, and I'm going to wait forever, right, and I'm not going to let all that one person in, because I am a Christian, so I will let that one in. make sure God knows it, because I'm going to be thinking, God, did you just see what I did? I opened my heart up. But then you got another private person, they're going to get over, and then they're going to try and let people in, but they're going to be directing too. They're going to be like, they think this will not happen without their, their input. So they're going to be like, you know, telling cars which way to go and talking to them, even though you can't hear them. Uh, those are those people. And then you got the people, um, and I know there's a big group of these people because there's a Facebook group called Eagle River Loop Road Zippers. And what, these are people that strongly believe that if you go flying by and you last minute you can dart in, that that's actually more efficient. Well, it is for you, but... For everybody else, it is not. So that's, you can tell my opinion on that. So that's one situation. Maybe socially, uh, you've got the friends. If you think about your friendship group, the people that you are close with, hopefully you have some. But 
there's the, the friend who will co- go out with you if you call them, but they're never going to call you, right? They're just, they don't ever have that, that, that much initiative, but they want to hang out with you, so they need someone to kind of coordinate that. Then you kind of have the coordinator, right? The person who's going to make sure everybody in the friendship group gets called so that nobody gets left out, no feelings were hurt, even if it's maybe not the right event, but they're still going to invite them, so they got an invite. And then you've got the person who really they don't want any of those people with them. They just want like one or two of their best buds to go on this event and they want to exclude other people uh, because they really want it to be an awesome time. But I think when we see like you put these different types of people together, whether it's at a kid's party or whether it's in traffic or maybe just with friends, anytime you put people in the same area together, you're going to have maybe some tension and some relationships and feelings can get hurt on occasion because of those differences that we see in people. And Paul is addressing this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with the early church when they gathered. And so we're going to pick it up in 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to start in verse 17. And he says this, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. This is one of Paul. Uh, if you've been following this letter, God has spoken through Paul, who's an apostle, uh, a leader in the early church chosen by Jesus himself to provide leadership. And he's affectionately writing this church, but he gives the, the most uh, uh, harsh rebuke here on this topic of unity in the early church. There's just kind of almost chaos in the factions that are developing. He's saying it'd be better if you didn't even meet. And if you've been following through this book, there have been some pretty heavy issues that Paul is addressing to the, the church that is meeting in Corinth. And, and yet he chooses to be the most aggressive on this issue uh, so far. And in what should have been unifying events, coming together uh, over a meal, they were doing the exact opposite. And he says, it would be better for you just not to meet if this is the way you're going to conduct yourselves when you actually do come together. You guys are not being selfless. You're being completely Selfish. And we talked about last week, if you remember, Paul is living not by a Mosaic law, but he's living by what he calls the law of Christ. And if you want to turn quickly or it'll be on the screen behind me, uh, we'll see where we got that. It's Matthew 22, 37. I think it's worth reviewing. It says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so clearly, the Apostle Paul is saying, church in Corinth, you are not living by this law. Like, you're doing the exact opposite of what this is supposed to, to drive you to. They, the early church would have uh, feasts. A lot of times the, the non-Christian churches, the, the uh, pagan temples, they would have feasts as well. And it was normal for them to, to divide out by uh, social standing, by class, by money, by just friendship groups. And so you would be normally, you would expect when you went to a meal to be seated in certain areas depending on who you were. If you were someone who was somebody, then you expected to get a seat of honor. And if you were somebody who just got invited by somebody, you kind of expected to be off in the corner. 
And so perhaps the early church, when they were meeting together, they would have what they called agape meals. Agape is a Greek word, it just means love. So they would have love meals, these feasts that they would get together, and they were mimicking that very same thing. The people who had a lot, they got special treatment, they got to have the big meals, and they got to do all the things, including getting drunk. Uh, and then the other people were showing up, and they got nothing, and they were being left out of this. And so this was in the church, and so Paul is sending a pretty harsh, pretty harsh rebuke. I always think of like the potlucks. You know, I grew up um, in non-denominational Baptist churches, and so we had potlucks where people, if you're not familiar with them, people bring a dish. Everybody who shows up brings something. Some people bring amazing dishes, and some people bring things you're like, do you actually eat that? <laughs> Got dog hair in it. You're not sure what's going on with it. So always check out the kitchen of the person. Know who, know who is cooking your food. That's all I'm saying. That's a word to the wise, right? They're supposed to be meals that unify, and in fact, at the Corinthian church, they were not. They were actually doing the exact opposite. They were creating divisions and hard feelings um, and hurt uh, in the church. So we, do, we don't really see this at ACF. When we have meals here, people tend to come and we eat, we, we give freely. It's, we don't really have you know, first-class seating and second-class seating, right? Do we see this in other areas of life, maybe subtly, um, and I was thinking, like, where, where do I see this, or where have I seen this? I've been in Alaska for about seven years, and I remember the first year we qualified to go dip netting. Uh, we went out, and we had three summer tents, because we didn't know the difference that it was a summer and a winter tent. We just got three tents, and we had my family. We had a newborn with us, and we, we slept on the beach in these three tents up until it started thunderstorming, because it never thunderstorms in Alaska, but it did that day, and lightning and thunder. My kids are freaking out. My wife... Uh, because two of the tents are leaking. She's in the truck with a baby up front, and I'm in the one tent, and all my kids are on the mattress except for the one who's in a, a little plastic storage tub sleeping for the night. We survived the night, but it was not amazing. And we knew when we left that beach that we were never going to do that kind of family camping again. So we started looking around, and we realized, well, there's these things, you know, you, you have other options. You don't have to stay in a tent. They have campers. Um, they have tow-behind campers, right? See, that's kind of a step up. And then you look around when you have a tow-behind camper and you realize there, there are fifth-wheel campers. Well, you, you, of course, need a bigger truck to tow the fifth wheel. Um, and then they, they have these Taj Mahal things that like, they pull up next to you, and it's like having a 747 pull up next to you. And then the back opens up, and then like the side-by-sides roll out, and you're like, that's, that's when you arrive, right? But you notice that at last there's this competition almost, and they, they kind of start congregating together. If you start looking at the... Who hangs out with who, right? We do it when we go hunting. First year I went hunting, I had a bicycle. Um, don't recommend it, but I did realize there's got to be other options. Four-wheelers, right? So you, you want to get a four-wheeler. When you get a four-wheeler, you realize, I'm always getting wet when I'm riding my four-wheeler. It'd be awesome to have a side-by-side, -side, and then maybe a six-by-six. -six. And then eventually you look around, there's like this whole nother class, and they're kind of off to the side. They're like moose buggy and military vehicle guys who have these exotic things that get out in the middle of nowhere, and they're amazing. Um, but you, 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 we classify ourselves hunting clothing, right? First year I went hunting, I'm wearing paintball leftovers from the Vietnam era, <laughs> thinking I'm okay. But, but then you start looking around, and there's like, you know, do I have the latest? I don't even know how to, how to say it. Kiwi, Kiwi, Kawu. I don't even know what that brand is, but it, I know that it has really cool stuff, and if you have it, it's amazing. But there's a, a little divisions among the people uh, in Alaska. If you're military then you know for a fact that you guys are organized 
by class. You are really separated out. You have officers enlisted, and even within that, you have other uh, separations that are naturally taking place because it's got a function. And if you're sitting here, you're like, it doesn't function. But we'll just say it does for the sake of argument. And so then if you're an officer, say, on the base during the week, and then you come to serve at ACF Church, and now you're, you're, you're reporting to one of your enlisted at church, but yet you're in charge during the week, can we just say that, that all this stuff can just be weird at times, and it can just be awkward? Instead of something that unifies us at the foot of the cross, it really can divide us uh, when it, we don't even really think much about it. And that's what Paul is getting at here. And in the midst of all this, he's like, hey, you're having these meals, and you're, you're having the Lord's Supper. And I don't know where you grew up, but you, maybe you've heard Lord's Supper, maybe you've heard Communion. Uh, maybe if you are more liturgical or from a Catholic background, you, it's referred to as the Eucharist, right? You received your little cup on the way in, and we have a wafer and juice. Um, and, and so you're like, in the middle of these meals, Paul's saying, you're not even really celebrating or taking part in the Lord's Supper. So something has gone wrong. And so what, is, what does this mean? Where do we get these terms? Communion, the root is commune, community. Uh, we are we are becoming, uh, we're coming to the foot of the cross as one. Christ has made us uh, adopted into a family, and so there's that imagery there of what Christ has done for us, and so communion. Uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, why do we call it the Lord's Supper? Well, at the, the Last Supper, we like to name things um, evidently in Christianity, but so at the last Passover meal that he ate with his disciples, Jesus took time in that meal and gives us what we now refer to as the Lord's Supper, which is this thing called communion or the Eucharist. The Eucharist is a Greek word that uh, really just means thanks, and so it, that's all it really is. So it's, it's a weird word, but that's what it means, that we are uh, really acknowledging and giving thanks here because of what Christ Jesus has done in exchanging his righteousness for our sin, which is amazing when we actually start thinking about it. And so Paul uh, continues on in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, and he says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." So he says, I, I received this, and so I'm get, passing it on as well. And some have said, well, did Paul get it directly from Jesus, or did, he, or did he get it from somebody else who got it from Jesus? And the wording here allows for either one. And Paul, if you remember, he didn't walk with Jesus. He was actually persecuting the early church. Uh, he was vehemently opposed to Jesus when uh, Jesus was here physically on the earth. Uh, but then on, on the road one day, Jesus appears to him. And Paul has a, an instantaneous, miraculous conversion because he's coming face-to-face -face with Jesus. And so then did Jesus give him special revelation that gave him these words to, to say in this, this tradition, this uh, repeatable ritual that, that it says to do until Jesus comes back? Or did he get it from someone else? We don't know. Likely got it from somebody, and now he's passing it on. He got it from one of the other apostles, and now he's passing it on. And he's saying we should pass that on and continue doing it, which is why you got a cup today on the way in because we are going to repeat this ritual at the end of our time together today uh, because it gets passed down. Um, and I love it because it looks back for us at what Christ has done, but it also looks forward. We're we to do it until Jesus returns. And so it, it is looking forward to another time when Jesus Christ returns. Uh, 
Um, and that, that is, a, I think, a really cool ritual that we get, a really cool imagery that we're able to take part in. And there's different views of communion. And so again, if you're from more of a Catholic background, uh, you, may have, if, you may have understood this to be uh, what, what's called transubstantiation. It's a big word, uh, but it really just trans change in substance, so change of substance. Uh, a properly ordained priest uh, who goes through the proper liturgy um, and over the elements, the bread and the, the wine or the, the wafer and the, the cup, uh, those things actually transfer or transform from those wafer and juice into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. There's some miraculous transformation that takes place, and that's what they're saying. Uh, there's another one. Uh, it's a Lutheran tradition uh, called consubstantiation. Con means with, so with substance. What they're saying is they, they, they don't see that the, the elements change uh, physically into anything else. What they do say, though, is that the elements are there, so you have the wafer and, and the cup, but then with that, the, the real presence of Jesus Christ, the body and the blood, come with that. And the, the illustration they give is like a branding iron. Uh, it's a branding iron until you put it into a hot fire. It's still a branding iron, but now it's commingled somehow with the heat. The heat doesn't change it. Uh, it just becomes, it goes with it. Uh, another illustration that I like is like water soaking, or a sponge soaking up water. Uh, they're it's still a sponge and water, but they're both there together. And so that's the, the way to think about what consubstantiation might be. Uh, and then there's a memorialist view, and that's really uh, thinking that it's the, the uh, communion is a memorial of it. We're, it's really, there's nothing special necessarily about the elements themselves, but it reminds us of, of the very real sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid on the cross. Uh, and so uh, there's different views depending on how you grew up. The, the ultimate thing is Paul's saying it's, it's something that really should point us to God. It's a holy time together, and it should be something that unifies us not only to God but also to each other. We practice it as a memorial uh, here at ACF. Uh, and the thing I noticed, though, as you walked in, it was very orderly. And you're sitting here, and you're very orderly. You haven't thrown tomatoes or anything yet. Uh, we haven't had fistfights break out. And so it's hard sometimes, maybe like it's, he's addressing some chaos that's going on in the early church in Corinth, but yet we're not seeing that here. I don't feel like we, we have that class division when we come uh, together to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, and so there's also a principle, though, that applies to us today as we sit here at ACF Church, and that really is uh, the unity that we experience with other believers. And here's, a, I think, a way to think about it. It's if we're in communion with God, we will seek communion with each other. It's really difficult, Paul says, to say you're in right standing with God, to say you're, you're in community with God through Jesus Christ if your relationships are in tatters or don't show that same unity. So Paul is driving pretty hard at that, and he continues in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven as a way to address this. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Paul mentions an unworthy manner. 
a way that we can take communion. Maybe we've never given it a thought before because it's just something that we do regularly here at ACF or maybe other churches you've attended before. Uh, it's just a thing that we do, and it's, it's what Christians do. Um, and so we say there is a way you can do it that is, is really approaching it in an unworthy manner. And so we ought to look at that. And I think there's really two parts to that. And the first is not taking the memorial seriously. It's just doing it as a repetition, as something else, because I'm going to do it because they handed me a cup, I sat down, everybody around me is doing it, and that's why I'm doing it. Not really understanding what it's meant to do, and it's meant to remind us, it's meant to connect us with Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And the second is not being united with other believers. So you can take this in an unworthy manner because if you're not connected with or if you're in disunity with other believers, if you're not considering the body of believers, then you could take it in an unworthy manner. And he says, I think Paul is saying, we should examine ourselves, we should be proactive in that and not wait for God to do that. If you judge yourself, he says, you won't be judged. So he's saying, if you don't, if you just take it flippantly and come in and you're not really that concerned, you're not going to examine your heart before you, you come to the foot of the cross, then the reality is, he says, God's going to do it. And in Corinth, one of the things that they had uh, been dealing with was weakness and illness and death. So it's, it's a serious thing that he's taking. And Paul says, it's better for you to do it on your own, to be proactive in that self-examination and the correction in the relationships you have with each other, than to let God come in and do it for you. What he's really saying, if he was going to rewrite this, I think, in modern English, he would just say, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? He's encouraging us to have some self-examination. So I remember one time watching my two, two of my girls um, when they were younger, and they had a plastic wiffle ball bat, and they were just playing, you know, as kids do, and one of them accidentally, intentionally hit the other one with the wiffle ball bat. And so I'm watching this, and it, there's no physical damage, right? It's, it's a wiffle ball bat. Like, it's, at worst, it's like, okay, that annoyed me. But uh, they're girls and just kids, and so the other one starts screaming. You know, there's been a, a break in the relationship has occurred, and I know immediately that I'm going to deal with this one way or the other. But what I witnessed was the one who hit her sister immediately went over and made sure she was okay, apologized, hugged her, and everything was fine, and they went off and kept playing, that she immediately self-checked something that she knew was broken in the relationship. And I believe that's maybe an illustration uh, to help us understand how Paul is directing us to consider the relationships we have as we come to communion. It's better to do it on our own than to, to have God come in. And ultimately, he says, when God does that, it's, it's not a, a fist-crush-you uh, discipline. Uh, me growing up, discipline for me uh, meant my dad with the belt snapping it down the hallway just as a mental game, or uh, the belt actually engaging and, and teaching you physically that there was something wrong. So discipline to me was always uh, punitive, but the reality of the word really means to direct. Um, and so if you think about it, when God is disciplining us, it, does, it can involve some unpleasant things, but it also is directive. And so if we're willing to listen, then uh, God is willing to lead and to teach. And that's what Paul, I think, is getting at here. And in Psalm 139, verse 23, uh, it's one of my favorite chapters in Scripture, and it really talks about God knowing everything about us, and he loves us beyond anything we can ever consider. He loves us more than we could ever contemplate. 
And at the very end of this psalm, then he, he asks this or, or speaks this to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And it can be a scary thing, right, to ask God to examine your heart. I know for me, there are things in my heart that I know that you don't know that if you knew, you'd be like, wow, that's pretty dark. And we all have those things, and to invite God into that can be a scary thing. And even scarier when you think that there are things in my heart that I don't even know about that are probably grieving God. And if I'm inviting him in to ask, he's willing to, to show and to lead. But not so scary when you realize the, the first part of that psalm, which is God absolutely knows everything already, so that you're not hiding anything from God. So you're inviting him in, and he's saying, if you're willing to follow, I'm willing to lead. If you're willing to learn, I'm willing to teach. And so then it's not so scary because you have a God who wants, wants you to be doing the things you should be doing. So what do you do if you examine your heart, which I've been obviously encouraging you to do. Paul's encouraging us to do it. And you find that you've offended somebody. Like you, God brings to your mind that you've had an argument with somebody or you're at odds with somebody and it's, it's largely your fault. Maybe you, on the way to church today, you were trying to get the kids ready and you and your spouse had a fight because that you know, never happens on the way. It always happens on the way to church because you got kids involved and time limits and they got to look a certain way and whatever. And maybe you're sitting next to your spouse right now and you're not talking, but you're getting ready to take communion with Jesus and there's a break in that relationship. Maybe your spouse is over at Jitters and you're sitting here. Um, what do you do? Don't take it. That's what Paul is saying. If, if you have uh, an offense that you have committed and you have not done everything you can to fix that, then you need to stop and go and fix it. And there's another uh, verse in Scripture that talks about a time when we come to, God. It's not, uh, come to God. It's not specifically about communion, but it's talking about when you approach God and there's a, 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 something that you, you have done to somebody else, what do you do? And we see it in Matthew 5, 23, and it says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what about if you're sitting here and you're contemplating uh, taking communion and you realize that, you, not that you're frustrated with something somebody else did, but you're actually letting bitterness start to grow in your heart and you realize you have unforgiveness, that, that God is saying, you know what, you're harboring this unforgiveness and you're holding it tight. You've not started to let that go. What do you do? Don't take it. Go and reconcile. And there's another verse, same thing. It's not about communion directly, but it is about when we approach God and we have some break in relationship. And it's, this specifically is about unforgiveness. And it says this in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. It says, and whenever you stand praying... Forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Why can we forgive people? Because they owe us, right? We, we deserve. You're right. But the reality is we can forgive because we receive something that we didn't deserve and that is God's righteousness through Jesus Christ when we didn't deserve it. When we're in the midst of our sin, Christ died for us and offered that to us. And so because we have been forgiven, we can forgive. We can start that process. One of the things I notice as an aside um, is when we confront others in relationship, 
when we've hurt them or they've hurt us and we have a conversation about it, one of the results that can take place, especially in our modern church, is one of the parties just leaves and just pulls the ejection seat on the relationship, on the church, and you have options. Like, reality is, is someone confronts you and it gets uncomfortable, you can just walk out the doors and go find another church and, and likely nobody's gonna say much. But I wanna challenge you to stay in it because God, through Paul in 1 Corinthians, is calling the church to unity. That's really his overarching point, is if we are connected with God, we can't be divided. And so I wanna encourage you to work through the uncomfortableness of tension and friction in your relationships. It takes time. It's not just, oh, I'm gonna make this right, and then it's right. It takes investment and time. If you're married, you know that. Good marriages don't just happen. They, they happen day by day over the course of time and choices and staying with it. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So what are some action steps that we can take knowing the truth of 1 Corinthians 11? The first is to begin a relationship with Jesus. Because again, as you remember last week we had the, the, the illustration on the, on the screen, the, the drawing, and it had legalism on one side. If you're just trying to do all of the Christian-y things without actually having a relationship with Jesus, you're just being legalistic. You're just putting rules on yourself, trying to look better, but you don't actually have the righteousness of Christ on you. And so all of these things really apply to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so that's really the first step in your journey. The second step that you can take is to take communion. We're gonna, in just a moment, uh, if you don't have a cup, you can raise your hand and somebody will come and make sure that you have a cup and a wafer. So I'd encourage you to take communion. What if you are examining yourself right now and maybe in a minute and you realize there's some things I need to deal with before I come, come to God? Don't take communion. That's a third action step. That's a weird action step, right? Pastor's telling me not to take communion. No, it's really, as much as it depends on you, unify with others in the body of Christ. Does it mean to be unified? Does it, does it mean that to, in order for me to take communion, everyone has to be happy with me and I have to be happy with everybody else? Because if you try that, none of us will be taking communion. We're always, because we're people, we're broken people, we're always gonna have uh, those, that tension in relationship. But as much as it depends on you, have you tried to make that relationship right? Have you really? And that's, I, I will say yes, I have, and then the reality is, I know I haven't. This may be your time. And lastly, connect with someone outside your circle. This just goes kind of at the core of unity. Is, is I think God is calling us to break the class barriers, even though it's weird, to, to break the, the different separations that we naturally divide ourselves on, maybe without thinking it. And some of them are, are good. Some of them are uh, maybe damaging, but we're not really, uh, not really aware of the damage that it's doing. And he's saying, invite somebody into that, and it will take work. Um, and that's okay. And that's okay. So I want to... As you have your cup, you can go ahead and maybe get it out and have it in your hand. But I want to encourage you. We're going to take, because Paul says, before you take communion, like examine yourself. So if you haven't already, let's take a moment. And it, it'll be weird, but that's okay. Examine your heart. Ask God to show you if there's things that grieve him between you and somebody else or you and him. And let's, let's think about that. So take a moment before we... We come back together and take communion. And I don't know what position that is for you. Maybe bow your head. Maybe put your hands out. Maybe be on your knees. Maybe just sit there.
uh, whatever that looks like for you, but do business with God in your heart just for a moment. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes and drink would you pray with me dear heavenly father i thank you lord i thank you for your great love for us Lord, that while we were still dead in our sins, you came, you walked this earth, you voluntarily went to a cross, you, you are alive today. And Lord, we don't have to be legalistic, but we can live the law of Christ because we are made new. We are given your righteousness in exchange for our sin. And Lord, we thank you for that. And Lord, we look forward to your coming again and making all things new. Lord, I thank you for the unity of believers that we can have, and I pray that we would be your people who would strive to make it uh, not a divided group, a divided family, Lord, but a unified one. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are in the middle of Serve Week, and so in a few weeks, we are launching our third Sunday gathering, and uh, so we're doing, uh, we have about four weeks to do a push to provide opportunities uh, to serve, and so we have a video we'd like you to check out. Hi, I'm Ellie, and I serve with ACF Kids. We came to ACF right when COVID hit, so I couldn't just dive right into serving. But when we started coming back to in-person, I just knew I needed to serve here, but I didn't know who to talk to. And weirdly enough, I was getting coffee at Jitters, and our child director, Allie, asked to pray for me. And I was like, hmm, yeah, okay. And she prayed for me, and the next weekend, she was on stage was announcing she was the child director. And as she was walking down the aisle, I pulled her aside and was like, can I talk with you? And I was just so excited to get involved, and she plugged me in that moment. And forever then, I've been serving through ACF Kids. I serve because the kids teach me more about Jesus and how to have childlike faith than I probably teach them. I've seen God move mountains in kids' ministry from kids that 
come through the door and have burdens that you'd never think. Just change and become joyful from them sitting in the corner to literally breakdancing during worship. Uh, they just find so much joy in God and I've been able to find joy through God through them. If you are on the fence today, I just encourage you to take the leap of faith and use the gifts that God gave you. It doesn't matter what age you are, if you are a kid, a young adult, it doesn't matter. Just use your gifts to and find people, show God's love, show compassion to others, and your faith will multiply. For you to, to say, I'm, I want to ask questions about serving here at ACF Church. It can feel a lot like, hey, we need you to fill some spots um, to make this machine continue to go. And that's not what serving here and joining a serve team at ACF is about at all. Uh, one thing that I know for sure is that when you serve on a team, you're going to find community. Uh, God is going to use it to help grow you uh, in, a, in ways you never thought possible through interacting with other people. And so it's, it's an awesome chance uh, for you uh, to see God move in your own life while you serve others. Uh, one of the things that I love is that my kids have real ways that they can serve at ACF Church. One of them is running a switcher today uh, on our production team, uh, our online team. And so if everything you see uh, around here, is, there's a team that has developed around that to make it happen. Um, and I said before, on September 18th, we are we're planting or launching our third Sunday morning gathering. You're going to be hearing more about that uh, in the coming weeks, but that's about uh, just over four weeks uh, for you uh, to ask questions about Serve Team and find your spot and then get trained and be ready to, to host that. And we're not just looking to uh, build Serve Teams on that, that new service, uh, but we are looking, uh, we have availability on every uh, service, every time that we gather. Uh, so some teams that, that I particularly um, have touched my life, ACF Kids, I always talk about my kids when I'm uh, speaking, and uh, I have uh, two kids who are taking advantage of learning about Jesus uh, downstairs uh, each week, and there are people who invest in them, both adults and kids. Uh, who are trained and welcome my kids and teach my kids and help them sing and praise God. I love it when my five-year-old starts to sing uh, songs that she heard here uh, at home. That just warms my heart. I have uh, three kids in ACF youth, youth culture, middle school, high school, and there are adults there who are investing well in kids, uh, walking with them through life and, and learning about Jesus. Uh, we have, like I said, production. If you see lights, things on the screen, video, uh, all the sound and things that you hear, there is a team around that, our online presence. Uh, there are people hosting. There are a lot of people the behind the scenes, not just the cameras that are roaming around making that happen, but there's a lot of thought and care uh, for that, and there's opportunities as well. Um, we have teams for just about everything, and there's a place for you. Our fit team, uh, I love that team because they make coffee in the morning, and that gets me going, especially on a Sunday. Uh, but we have folks that are helping you park. We have uh, the coffee. We have people at the doors greeting you, asking you how your day is going, helping you find a seat, uh, making sure that all of the elements of the service are prepared for and ready to go. Uh, so I encourage you uh, to get your card out. If you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to hold that up right now. I'm really asking you. I'm going to look at you and make you feel guilty for not doing that right now. I won't. Well, a little bit. But 
go ahead and grab it. I'm gonna ask you to take a moment uh, to fill this out. What am I committing to? And you can drop it in a basket on your way out. What am I committing to if I fill this card out? You're committing to say, I wanna ask questions about some of these serve teams. You can check one or more than one. And you're not saying I'm, I'm definitely gonna serve, but you're saying I'm, I'm interested. Uh, just asking some questions, or I have some questions before I even decide to make a decision, right? So that's what you, you are committing to. Uh, if you're paper averse, like you're like, I just won't fill this card out, then that's okay. We're gonna have a QR code uh, on the screen behind us. So if you have a phone, you can just get it on the uh, camera and scan that and you can go right to an online version of this. And again, you're not committing, you're just asking questions. But if you commit now, we will be ready to host and support uh, the continued uh, investment in learning and growing in Jesus for all aspects of ACF Church here by September 18th. Uh, so I want to encourage you to take that step sooner rather than later, uh, and you'll be playing catch-up. So take a moment now to fill this card out. Uh, we're going to give you about 30 seconds or so, uh, and then again, place that in the, the baskets as you leave. Thank you, guys.